Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Thank you. Welcome to Sastery in the Making. This is Matt, your host, and I am really excited today to be joined by Greg Head. Greg, welcome. Hi, Matt. Great to be here. Thank you. A little bit about Greg. Greg is the founder and CEO of Scaling Point. That's a firm that helps companies successfully grow from startup to scale up. In his past, he's also been the former CMO of Infusionsoft, which is now Keep, and uh, that he was really instrumental in their heyday. He was the one who really helped launch them and become uh, help them become superpower. So he took them from 15 million to 100 million, and it was really impressive. I knew him back then, and uh, they were doing some great stuff. Co-founder of Sales Logics as well. Many of you have probably heard of that one. That was the first mid-market CRM. And he was part of the team that took it public in 1999. So that big deal for sure. And a lot of people know about Greg's List as well. Greg Head is the creator, founder, and an operator of Greg's List. And that's a curated and thorough list of software companies for some specific U.S. markets. So Greg... Thank you so much for joining. Yeah, happy to be here. And uh, it's fun, Matt. Uh, I don't know when we first met. Maybe it was 2008 or so, very in the early stages of uh, WebPT. I know that's when we first met, but was that 2008 or 2009? I, I don't remember. It's all a blur because it... apparently I'm a little older than you guys, than you are. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, uh, we're all, uh, we're all enjoying the years though. So it doesn't matter, <laughs> but, uh, yes. So for everybody out there, Greg and I known each other for quite a while, really, really helpful and instrumental in helping us uh, design our marketing program and helping us scale at WebPT, uh, which, which many people know WebPT went on to become very, very successful, fortunately. Uh, but Greg was part of the early team helping it happen and, and help grow. So he's somebody I've looked up to for a very long time and, and really happy to have him on the program. But uh, Greg, tell me about what you're doing now at Scaling Point. Yeah, Scaling Point is my company. I've got a small team and it's uh, a uh, marketing strategy, consulting and workshop firm. So all those lessons I've learned uh, about the deeper side of the growth game. Uh, there's always the tactical side and that changes uh, by the year and, uh, and all that. Um, it's, uh, but the things that haven't changed in the growth game and for all types of businesses are right under all the, the same principles that are under uh, marketing strategy uh, that when you time to business strategy and product and line them all up, it makes all the tactics work. So I work with uh, Early stage founders typically with their businesses between one and 10 million, uh, sometimes a little bit less, not very often a little bit more, uh, that are going from the turn from startup that early run out onto the field and experiment and sell something and all that and scale, which is a totally different sport. Um, you know, five to $10 million companies and above, it's just a different sport. And you've been through that. Uh, yourself, you know, it's just a, a totally different game than uh, the early days. So making that turn is where everybody gets stuck. And there's something around there, the product market fit before scale and all of that that's kind of related. But uh, the tactical, I call it the myth of more, just doing more, you know, raising money, adding more salespeople, emailing harder is not going to get you to be the big company that you want to no. be. So I do work with the crazy founders that say, you know, there's 10 of us, uh, someday this will be huge and we'll change 
the way things work. And again, you and I have both been part of those and you know that's possible <laughs> and that's how you do it. But the sport changes along the way. So I'm, I'm there for the early stage guys when it's really hard and tricky. Yeah, that's great. And that's something that I'm sure is certainly needed because usually at early stages, the team is, is limited in their, in their breadth of skill set. They haven't specialized quite yet. Yeah. So, so how do you keep up with those changes? I mean, you've been a part of the marketing world and led a lot of innovation. How do you keep up with all that? Well, the, there is, there are the changes in tactics and we're just now in the middle, uh, you know, in April of 2020, in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis. And we see tactics changing by the week, uh, how we're reaching people and habits changing and so forth. And over the years and the phases of, uh, the tactics have changed a lot. What hasn't changed mm-hmm. is the fundamentals of uh, the strategy, uh, who you serve, uh, what you, you know, the category game of what is your thing and how you play that. Those, those things are attached to uh, human brains of buyers and markets and founders mm-hmm. and all of that. Then um, I didn't invent those laws of nature, you know, the strategic foundations, but it's, it's exactly what I use to help, uh, WebPT, when you guys said we need a new website and we went through the process and got all the way down to the bottom and came back up and uh, made the right decisions to, to help it grow. So, and, you know, I, I'm happy to have contributed to, uh, to y- your team at WebPT and everybody else and also to the Infusionsoft team. I didn't do it personally. I was one of many people that uh, helped uh, in the major growth spurt over there. Certainly some good teams, but I know that your, your efforts and, and, and input was huge in those efforts in both of those yeah. companies. So that is, that is very awesome. Um, one thing that, that's, that's also awesome is Greg's list. In fact, I was talking with a friend in Australia last week, and uh, he's in the SaaS game as well. And, you know, it's funny. He said, hey, I saw this company or this thing, Greg's List. Have you ever heard of that? And I'm like, <laughs> well, as, as it happens to be, that's uh, one of my old guys from way back. So uh, how did you get the idea? Yeah, it's something that uh, people know about worldwide, which is, which is very cool. And, and how did you get the idea for Greg's List? Well, uh, you know, like anything, uh, it came out of necessity when I left Infusionsoft four years ago, 2016, I just started helping, uh, you know, founders who I knew, including Brad Janenga, one of the founders of WebPT, his next venture. And then he'd say, go help that guy. So I spent time at the whiteboards, you know, and long, long lunches at coffees at meetings with uh, all the, the uh, software founders that I knew in Phoenix and then elsewhere. Everybody had the same problem. We've got enough software, but not enough customers revenue and growth, uh, mm. which is the modern software problem. So, um, and so, you know, it was harder to make software in the nineties than it was to find markets. Now it's the complete opposite, but mm-hmm. I just started helping everybody. I discovered there's a lot more going on in Phoenix in the software market. I'd been there almost 20 years already and helped grow two companies from founding or early to hundred million in revenue. And so, um, I just put myself in the middle of it, helped, uh, founders as much as I could and just ran around town and quickly got to about a hundred companies on my little Evernote list. And so people were following me around. Can you show me that list? Can you, can you connect me to that guy? And who do you know? Right. And all that stuff <laughs> that I'm doing. And finally I said, you know, um, I think I ought to just make a list of everybody and people can find each other. I was introducing founders to themselves across town and, you know, so I just published the list and it 
started like literally on my website, a little my spreadsheet turned in HTML and I posted the list. Now there's 543 active real software companies on Greg's wow. list, Phoenix, wow. uh, which was way bigger than anybody thought. So that was part of the magic trick. No and, kidding. Just in Phoenix. Just in Phoenix. Wow. And these are real companies. These aren't just like some bot or automated thing or download. You go Holy everywhere cow. else. Yeah. You, you, you're not going to see the, you're just going to see the 10%, the funded ones uh, like WebPT, mm. the big ones, that everybody knows. Mm. Uh, you don't see 90% of the software companies in most towns. Mm. And um, so I published the list and, you know, revealed it. And so, and, and now everybody connects and it was just a pet project I did as a volunteer thing, added about 10 companies every month, took away the ones that died. And, uh, you know, I put my name on it because people said, if Greg knows, it's a real company. And so they could, you know, it was built so these people could get the resources. The founders were all mm -hmm. time. There's no funding. There's no talent. You can't do it here in Phoenix. It's not really a software town. And I heard this from everybody. I was like, who started yeah. the rumor? It didn't, I don't have that experience. Uh, and the, the, you know, the talent and the investors were saying, where is everybody? So mm -hmm. it's about getting resources to the crazy people doing the hard job of growing these companies. And uh, they're the people doing it. So it is about the entrepreneurs and the, you know, the crazy ones who create the next wave because that's where all this stuff comes from. There's always a crazy person at the beginning of anything that mm -hmm. exists now, and uh, they didn't die in between their <laughs> idea and making it big. Well, that's awesome. I know it's a, a cool thing, and to hear that it's uh, you know world-renowned is, is very awesome, so kudos on that. Yeah, I appreciate that, and we're still curating it. I have some help now with my team and some sponsors, and we're in Dallas and Salt Lake City and Chicago, and we're expanding to more cities. So Wow. Uh, it's a useful resource that's, you know, uh, finding its way and it's not global domination and everything, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's just yet. within that crowd, it's just really useful and, uh, become a popular resource. It's really become one of the bricks in the wall of the tech ecosystem in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. that nobody else was going to do. I said, I'll do it. And there it is. Well, that, that's awesome. And I, I want to ask you, because I, I know you're well-versed in many areas, but really you've, your focus is in marketing. That's your expertise. And, and I focus on sales myself. Uh, so how do you see an ideal sales and marketing relationship? Well, uh, you're, that's, there's something on the, the, the tactical front line of B2B SaaS software companies and how do they play the tension between and the roles between um, sales and marketing, which, you know, it's all, that's always a little bit of a challenge or a lot of one. And, uh, but I, I tend to go deeper uh, on the other side and say, they're both trying to save, solve the same problem, especially when you talk about all kinds of companies, not just B2B SaaS uh, software companies. Um, Cause you can, you could take it all the way to sales, uh, a sale from, I don't know about you to I'm buying your product with just marketing which mm -hmm. tends to be more consumer products, or you could do all of that with a, just a salesperson, no website, no emails, no air cover, you know, that kind of thing. So um, that process, it's two sides of the same coin. And it always works best when you're um, uh, trying to, when sales and marketing leaders are trying to solve the same over, you know, overall problem. Uh, Cause there's a lot of overlap in between them in particular B2B, SaaS, uh, software sales, you know, um, marketing is who gets the leads and sales is who closes them. But, you know, uh, there's more synergy than that. 
and uh, marketing doesn't stop when you're talking to salesperson and you know um, one way to to distinguish it is you know marketing is what you say the same to everybody and sales is the custom conversation that depends on you know who you're talking to and what industry they're in and so forth so um, it always works best when sales and marketing have the, the bigger goal and you're not just dividing to either side of the net saying you get leads and you close deals and go right. And <laughs> each other, uh, you gotta, gotta work together on that. So that's the way I've always approached it. That's great. I, I love that philosophy as well of keeping sales and marketing in, in sync and, and keeping them together. But what can founders do to, to kind of foster that? Well, one is for the founders to understand the sales and marketing game. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of founders are technical and they say, I guess I need marketing to get me some leads and I guess I need sales to get, you know, <laughs> to close those leads. Um, and it's a little more, it's a little, there's a deeper game going on there uh, mm -hmm. that they need to be students of. And so generally speaking, you know, the simple thing of get me some sales, get me, give me some leads, give me some closers and run. And then they compete with each other tends to run into problems. So there's a little more nuance. Uh, if you divide the goals so completely separately, uh, yes, they're all aligned in the funnel math. But if you, if you don't create some overlap in their goals where they actually have to kind of help each other be successful, uh, it's generally not going to work very well or for very long. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying. People being aligned on on a, a single higher goal seems to work well. And I've seen that happen. I've seen that work well. So so I would totally agree. Yeah. And, you know, marketing people tend not to understand the sales game so well. Mm -hmm. um, and the salespeople really have no idea about the marketing machine. So if mm -hmm. you can keep them, uh, you know, there's a lot of naivete and all that kind of stuff. So it, there's a lot of education that has to happen. And uh, alignment and because uh, there's a lot going on in between, especially at a long sales cycle enterprise software company between when somebody first finds out about you and when they first buy and, you know, get mm -hmm. onboarded and so forth. So there's a lot of steps. It's really complicated. Um, and so there's has to be a lot of alignment to see what's going on. That's yeah, actually sure. one of the reasons that I, you know, I, I say I do marketing, but I've done just as much sales and product and everything else and run mm. software businesses, but you know, the marketing side of it touches all of those and is the least well understood. So, um, you know, generally speaking, uh, in the game. So I like to deal with the yep. bigger levels of marketing, which for smaller companies, the marketing strategy is the business strategy. You yep. know, you go after what you are and so forth. It's not anything mm -hmm. different. And, uh, how you make decisions about those is the biggest lever on your marketing. One example is, you know, when Heidi and Brad were starting the WebPT company, physical therapy software, right? That was the vision. She was a physical therapist, still is. Mm -hmm. But you remember chiropractic and massage and, uh, you know, uh, OTs <laughs> and hospitals, and we could sell to everybody. And, mm -hmm. you know, the first strategic, you know, like technically you could, but the first strategic uh, decision, like way down business decision equals marketing decision is, no, we're just for the little guy PTs. Yep. Right. Focused. And, and yeah. And so now they're expanding, but like 10 years later, once you guys have been this become the sales force of, of PT, but let, you know, the biggest uh, this marketing decisions are the strategy decisions that guide the company. 
Yep. Absolutely. You know, I want to ask you, you've worked with hundreds of startups and, and their founders. What do you look for in a software company and its leaders? What, uh, which traits and characteristics are important, do you think? Well, they have to be between 23 and 33. No, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they, they come in all types, shapes and sizes. Um, and, you know, of course, they're all passionate, energetic, uh, problem solving because they see a problem in the world and so forth. Uh, the biggest challenge uh, these days uh, for software founders is they're underestimating two things and it's related to the product market fit and scale stories mm-hmm. uh, that they just never been through. So they don't, you know, they just kind of underestimate the game. The first is they, you know, they underestimate what it takes to make somebody just, so blown away by your product or service or the experience that they want to tell people they won't, you know, uh, they won't stop paying when there's a depression, you mm-hmm. know, and a crisis and so forth. It's just totally underestimated. Um, everybody's saying, well, everybody has software. It's easy to create a software business. And they, yeah, right. there's a problem in the world. There's software. They totally like a magnitude 10 times, you know, they're underestimating what it takes to make something go in the world, that product market fit. And the second thing is they underestimate uh, what it takes to scale from one level to the next, from mm-hmm. uh, one segment of a market to an expanded segment, from one region to another region, whether that's local or state or global, uh, one channel to another channel. Um, uh, it, it's totally underestimated uh, by founders these days because you think it's just an open field. And I, you know, I fall into this myself, like, look at that. It's a big open field and you know, we all run in and uh, it's mm-hmm. harder than we imagine. Always was, but there's a lot more competition now and there's a lot much more noise uh, now. And uh, exactly, you know, it's expanding. So I'd say underestimating, uh, how they can serve a larger population, which makes them naive about creating, you know, and being awesome for a small group that yep. they can serve really well faster. So um, that's my spiel. Yeah. I think, I think that's wise. focus on uh, who you can take care of, uh, whether it's you own your local market, whether you own um, a, a certain niche, just make sure that you focus and refine everything out in that niche before you think about, you know, taking it bigger and going outside of that. That's, that's what I try to preach. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's counterintuitive for talented, um, ambitious people that are, you know, like entrepreneurs that are urgent, mm-hmm. but um, they only learn it by beating their head against the wall a few times and, <laughs> and uh, going, that's how I learned it. And, uh, but like another way to say it, uh, Matt, is that these A players who are starting these companies and it's not really, you know, these aren't really lazy people who don't know their stuff and it's not the thing. It's um, mm. there's like, like chefs who could make any kind of food, right? But there's no restaurant. There's any kind of food that you want today. A restaurant is just one kind of food in one place, you know, for one audience. And then the, the restaurant company, you know, companies that scale nationally and globally, are known for one thing on the menu and they got started with like a little narrow crowd. I mean, it's almost without exception. I love uh, it. And so, you know, everybody starts off kind of in a generalist direction, but scale requires specialization and actually specialization is a superpower of marketing and you can't scale unless you get people to line up for what you do. So 
That's fantastic. Well, I, I want to ask you, because you've worked with, with a bunch of people, we've uh, figured out that they need to get that specialization to focus on their, on their niche. Now, once they've got that, what tips would you give relators on how to scale globally? Well, um, in the software industry, it's uh, interesting because the Greg's list is about local regions, but software companies do, you know, there's no local software company. We're just restaurant software, for, <laughs> you know, for restaurants in Phoenix or PTs in Phoenix or whatever. They're all national and, and um, most business type software uh, outside of healthcare and, and maybe uh, financial services, you know, are pretty global. And FusionSoft mm-hmm. uh, always had 25% of its customers overseas uh, without any investment or interest because it was available everywhere. So um, the, the trick is once you actually have um, a specialty and you're just killing it for them, you're going to get pulled globally because PTs in the UK are actually a lot like, I'd probably call them something different, but PTs in the, you know, just use this web PT example, physical mm-hmm. therapists, um, uh, what would they call them over there, Matt? Physiotherapists, Physi- typically. Yeah, physio- yeah, physios. Physios. You know, yes, right. Um, yeah, they're about the same persona, have about the same problems. There's something a little different. And so when you really uh, stoke the fires for in a specialty, it, it'll spread across regions just fine. So there's mm-hmm. the plumbing that goes with doing global business, uh, the hours and currencies and regulations and so forth. But um, the bigger thing is to get... Uh, so specialized and so red hot that your beacon can travel that far. And this goes the same for local companies that are trying to scale nationally as it does for global. 20 years ago, their global was, Oh, I have to speak French and there's regulation yeah. and we have to hire people there. It's different laws. And you realize like all that we had to send, you know, ship your brochures over there mm. and all that stuff. Now that stuff kind of doesn't exist. It's more mm-hmm. about having a common specialty. Um, cause if you scale, you can't be a different thing globally than you are here. Coca-Cola is the same thing, you know, mm-hmm. in, in Kenya as it is in the U S a little bit different spin on it, but fundamentally it's the same thing. So you actually have to be really sure about what your focus is, uh, because it's gotta be the same thing everywhere. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well, this is awesome. I really appreciate uh, you laying all this out for us. I think this is really helpful. There's a lot of great pieces of information, a lot of good nuggets here. And uh, I want to make sure that our listeners can, can find you if they need to learn more. So how would people get in touch with you, Greg? Well, uh, easiest is LinkedIn. I talk to founders so all the time, over a thousand a year. And I've worked in some businesses deeply, but I offer free you know, uh, advisory sessions and mentoring talking to a lot of people right now about their business um, and on scalingpoint.com. So you can, they, they, we're going to have more information about the workshops we're doing and uh, what the process is. And there's useful uh, insights there. And of course, if you're, you know, want to find out what's happening in the software industry in uh, Dallas and Phoenix and uh, Salt Lake and Chicago, you can go to gregslist.com. That's perfect. And for everybody out there, I will put all that in the show notes as well so you can get there. Uh, but this has been great. So, Greg, thank you so much. I appreciate you you coming on the straight to, to chat with you again and, and catch up. Uh, and I hope everything continues well for you. Thanks, Matt. Happy to help. 
All right. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, everybody. That's it today's show. I will see you next time. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to Sastery in the Making. Join us next episode for another look into how today's visionaries are creating the next generation of innovation.